Our Bible reading this morning is taken from the book of Genesis and reading from chapter 2 and verse 16 through to 25. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And now the Lord had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become the one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. If I've not met you before, I'm Robin Kinstead, broken man, forgiven and restored by Jesus and senior minister here at Fig Tree Anglican Church. I'm almost as excited as Langdon Stewart about the World Missions Conference here this year. And uh, it's my very great joy and with thanksgiving to God that uh, I welcome our speaker, Steve Connor and his wonderful wife, Michelle, uh, who join us here this morning. Can we perhaps give them a round of applause? G'day. Mate, it's wonderful to have you here. You've been here a few days, having come from the United States. How have those last few days been so far? It, it has been wonderful. You know, the jet lag's kind of a, a, a bit of a headache. You want to go to sleep when you're supposed to be up, but uh, being here has been wonderful. And the people have just been fantastic. But I've been here before. I was here 12 years ago, and you guys are looking older. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, it's been fantastic. But someone said to me, someone said to me, if, if you just go this way, and you drive out this way, you'll have a beautiful, beautiful, lovely drive. It don't matter which way you go around here, it's a beautiful, lovely drive. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's a beautiful place to be, oh. isn't it, brother? Hey, um, we're going to have a lovely opportunity tomorrow night to spend some time with you and Michelle and to get to know you a little bit more uh, in the auditorium here. So please do come and join us as we have a bit of a, a time together, a bit of an interview, hear about how the Lord's been at work in your lives and ministries for him. But I did want to draw people's attention to one book. Can I hand that to you? Absolutely. Now, that, just tell us a little bit more about what that book is, what it means to you, and when we walk past the copies outside, what we ought to be doing with them. <laughs> well, well this, is my, this is my book. It's my 10th book. And uh, I've surprised my English teacher in high school that she didn't <laughs> think I'd be able to write a paper. And uh, um, this one's called Rugged Discipleship. Mm -hmm. And it, the title was not my own. I am a great one for pinching ideas from other people. But I was with this uh, linebacker, African-American guy. Actually, he's from uh, 
Nigeria. He was a Nigerian. And, and he was lamenting the fact that in college there's a lot of Bible studies, but where are they now? Where are they now? And, and so being Socratic, I, I said, okay, what's the solution? And he said, we need, we need people that will endure. We need strong. We need rugged Christians. Uh, I like that. I said, okay, how do we get rugged Christians? He said, rugged discipleship. Hmm. I went, boy, that sounds like a title to a book. <laughs> and uh, it was. And uh, so I've used that, I think it was about 10 years ago. And it just kept in mind. And this is a great book. as a zillion uh, wonderful stories, all biblically based. And, but it will encourage you to go and make disciples. This is more of what we'll talk about next week as we look at the Old Testament this week. Fantastic. Thanks, mate. So when we do go outside and we see those books, what are those books on that uh, table for? It's for, for you guys to buy, and all proceeds go to your missions department. Uh, we, all the books we have, all proceeds go to mission, so we said we'll go right to your mission. So please, an author wants two things to happen. He wants you to buy it, and he wants you to read it. <laughs> so hopefully, and, and I think that it's a good buy. Now, well, can I say one other thing? Uh, sure. Simpson's here. And, and Scotty got me over here, and uh, we've been long friends. We'll talk about this tomorrow. But he was so incredibly helpful. He's a gifted writer and very, very helpful in formatting and putting the whole book together and getting my grammar right because it is not very good. Oh, Steve, look, we're very thankful. Thank you so much for bringing these books. And um, can I encourage you to uh, grab yourselves a coffee? A uh, coffee? When you grab a coffee later, grab yourselves a coffee and um, all the money, as Steve said, go to um, missions work for growing the kingdom of God. Um, Steve, you're going to speak to us from, from the one better book, uh, that is Amen. God's Word, the Bible. So I'm going to hand over to you, mate. So thank you so much for being here again. Robin, thank you. Well, I broke the, the handless mic in the first service, so uh, we've got this one here. Um, before I start, I, I just wanted to say, I, I've just got a sense here of salt and light. I've got a sense here of, you know, the good soil, a, a sense that you have a sense of the kingdom. Salt and light, good soil, sense of the kingdom. And what I see you guys doing this, this two Sundays, but just, just an emphasis on what you're doing the rest of the year, is taking that and bringing it into other places. You, I, I know Fig Tree is in a remarkable place, wealthy place, beautiful place, but you don't want to just keep it. You want to bring it to other people, and that's what you're doing, and that is really inspiring. Can I also say something already? Is Michelle texts the, the, the email. She texts it to some of her friends back home in the United States and said, please pray for us. And one of them, a professor at a Christian university, said, oh, my, look what that church is doing. Wow, that was so inspiring. In fact, that's God telling me to do something more somewhere else. So, so your ministry is already happening internationally. Let me pray for you. Pray with me. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we pause. You've given us unique gifts and abilities. Thank you for the opportunity to use those gifts, to use those abilities for your glory right here in Fig Tree and around the world. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Been involved in sport. The interview tomorrow, we'll talk more about that. Um, but uh, sport's been part of who I am for a long, long time. I played for the Chicago Bears and the L.A. Rams. How many here remember me? 
Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. My wife, one, one, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's really good. Now you guys know you have something in common with the good people of Chicago. They don't remember me either. <laughs> Short and unlustrous career, but sport and ministry. I, I studied to be a theologian and happened to be okay at football. And so I studied these two things that came together. Sports ministry is what I've been doing for the last 30 years, helping people to reach their communities. And guess what? Every country, look around, every country, there's a child that knows how to play. What a language. Every country around, you do not have to teach a baby to play. God put that inside of them to do it. I'm in Niger. Americans don't know how to pronounce it. They call it Niger. But uh, I'm in Niger. 1% Christian, 99% Muslim. I've got one top guy. His name is Yazi. Yazi, I won't give his last name because we're on tape. But, 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 but Yazi's an amazing man. And, and, and he works with the Muslims. Amazing, amazing guy. And uh, he is uh, from the Yoruba tribe. And the Yoruba have these scars around your face here. And he looks really scary, really scary guy. And I remember the first time I met him, I said, hello, sir, how are you? Good to meet you. And he goes, hello, lovely to see you. He's got the sweetest accent. And, but Yazi loves everybody and has a relationship, and, and, and that's key. Relationship. People. Aren't you tired of Zooms? People. Relationship. It's going to come up over and over in my talks. Yazi has a relationship with everybody. I, 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 um, our movement wanted to help him with a farm because that's how he could raise some money and it was outside of the capital Naomi and I wanted to see the farm. He said, besides the cobras, it's a pretty cool place. And so I thought, well, I don't know about those cobras, but I'll, I'll go see your farm. And then someone said, no, you can't go because of ISIS. Can't go out there. And I don't know if you know, three years ago, some commandos, American Green Beret, were all killed, were wiped out in that area because of ISIS. So I don't think you can go. And then someone else said, well, well maybe if it's safe, you can go. And then someone said, well, you know, just wait and see. You just go to the gate, and they either let you through out into the country, or they won't. And so sure enough, we got in his little car. He's driving away. Millions of people in Miami, and then he was going out into the country. One road, clay road, finally make it out there. It was just like you'd see on TV. You got a guy in a beret. He's got the AK-47. He's sitting there, and he's bored. He's tired. And all of a sudden, he sees Yazi's car. And, and, and Yazi's my guy. And I was so proud of him because this guard just lit up. Yazi! Hey, Yazi! Hey, man, Yazi! Good to see you, Yazi! And he runs around the, to his side where he's driving, and then he sees this white guy. Oh, no, 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 no. You, no, no, no. You cannot go. Cannot go. And then he looks at me, and first Yazi says, he's, he's American, speak English. And so he switches that way. And aren't those Africans just amazing? The linguists, I mean, if they don't know five languages, they, they feel like they don't know anything. So, so, so he switches immediately into English. And he says, where are you from? Now, I'm a little nervous. You know, I'm a little scared. And I'm like, uh, yeah, Indiana. He looks at me and goes, I don't believe you. You are far too big and far too white to be an Indian. <laughs> No, 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 it's a state. It's a state in America. One of the 50, you know, it's called Indiana. He goes, never heard of it. <laughs> and now I'm nervous. Now I'm nervous. What, what am I going to do? What am I gonna do? So I say, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I am going to tell him where I was born. 
I, I was raised in Chicago. I was raised in Chicago. And, and he looks at me, and he gives crestfallen. Chicago, El Capone, bang, bang. Very bad place. You may go. First time Chicago was ever useful for me in that way. I don't know if you heard, but in, in uh, Niger, um, I, I thank God for Joel and their open door ministry, encouraging people around the world that have had churches burned down. In Niger, 40 churches were burned a couple of years ago, and I couldn't get a hold of Yazi. He's my friend. I, I, I've discipled him. I, I love Yazi, and I couldn't get a hold of him. I was so scared. Finally, after three days, finally after three days, I get a hold of him on the computer. Finally, bad, bad connection. Are you okay? Are you okay? Almost lackadaisically, he says, yeah, I, I, I'm fine. I'm fine. I, I say, but, but is it true or was it just the news hyping it up? Did, did 40 churches, Christian churches, get burned in Niger? He said, 40 churches in Naomi, in the capital, were burned. Several people were killed. I said, well, your church is okay. He's got a series of churches. He goes, oh, of course they were. Well, it seemed kind of nonchalant to me. I said, why? How come your churches were okay? He said, because we've got relationships with the Muslims. You see, they play on our teams. Their children play on our teams. We have great relationships. They'd never, never burn down our churches. They've created an atmosphere. They've taken it, and they've brought it into different areas of their lives. I have two, uh, I don't know why us missiologists have to, have to use fancy words. I don't know why, but I have two words that I just want to break down quickly. One of them is, uh, is the cultural mandate. Cultural mandate, that comes from Genesis 1 and 2, what we just read, the macro version of Genesis chapter 1, the big picture and the micro version coming in with Adam and Eve, tightening in on all of creation, the beginning of man. And then the other term I want to use is meta-narrative. The cultural mandate, all it means is getting stuck in and then making something beautiful happen. That's all it means. Getting cultural mandate, fancy word, get stuck in and make something beautiful happen and then do it again somewhere else. Just like you're doing here in Fig Tree. Oh, the atmosphere here. You can feel it. You guys, it's conducive to spiritual growth. Stuck in. Now we're going to help Joel. We're going to help Trent. We're going to help other people around the world. And we're going to pray for everybody in these nations to make that happen. And the second thing, meta-narrative, it just means the big picture. The big picture. And the exciting thing, aren't you glad that God gave us a book? He didn't just let us out here to spin us out of control. He gave us the word of God, living. And the exciting thing is, is not only is it an amazing group brought together by God of stories, of prophecies, of poetry, of history, but it's one story attached together, and it comes and ends in Revelation, and it gives us opportunity right in the middle there to be part of that book. And that's the meta-narrative, the big picture. Uh, Genesis 1, 28, one more verse that I wanted to read here. And this is where we get that um, cultural mandate. But God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over the living 
uh, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, Dr. Jerry Root wrote this. He has discipled me, amazing man. He said, this passage emphasizes what is called as the cultural mandate, a call for humanity to partner with God in his work. What it's saying in that Genesis part, what it's saying in that Genesis part there is that we are part, even before the fall, we are part of the work. See, we hadn't had sin yet, but God made us and designed us that we were to work and that we were to be part of this garden. And, and then we were supposed to create something of beauty. And then now in that beauty, we bring the gospel. But getting back to it, he goes on to say, um, from the very beginning, God's plan was to entrust the world to people, to entrust the word to people. This is what we were made to do. And when we do it, we bring glory to God. We bring glory to God. Remember the Westminster Catechism, the shorter questions? First question says, what's the chief end of man? What's man supposed to do? The answer to that catechism is to bring glory to God and enjoy him forever. To bring glory to God and enjoy him forever. God created you, and just being who you are in Christ is incredible glory. Now, we can sing, and that's a neat way to keep focused, but who we are and what we do, anything we're doing in work, it brings God glory. Uh, culture can be an umbrella term that encompasses the social behavior, institutions, or norms found in human societies. From the root of culture, what do we get? Bringing you back to the Garden of Eden. Culture, what do you get? The word cultivate and the word colonize in the most beautiful sense of what it can be to cultivate. Some of you are gardeners and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Taking something and making an atmosphere and making it beautiful, cohesive to growth. That's what we have here. Uh, Michelle and I were in Oxford, Oxford University for nine years, and then we were uh, doing ministry there, and we were developing the sports ministry in England, and then we went to Scotland for six years, 15 years away. That's where I met Scott, and uh, um, it was an amazing time. Oxford University, I was the dumbest guy there. <laughs> well, that was really funny, wasn't it? <laughs> I, I was. It's amazing how smart. The world-class brains. Now, I'm used to walking into Olympic events. I am the slowest and the oldest and the dumpiest. I mean, it's just, it's just a collection of people that were really, really smart. And, and I was scared my first time to preach at, at Christ Church College at the chapel. I was scared. I went up to the chaplain, and he said, they're smart, but you've got this one thing. You've got the truth. Give them the truth and let that present to other people. Not only that, but we coached the American football team, and it was, a, it was an amazing time. And at the American football team, on Wednesdays, we'd have a Bible study after practice. And on Sunday before the game, we'd have a chapel service, an Apple chapel. You know, you didn't have to come, but you could come if you wanted to. And one of the guys that came, it was Andy, Andy Smith, Andy and Linda. 
They were living together. They, they laughed at me about, you know, Bible study, didn't want anything to do with it. They joked with me about being a holy Joe. And then, uh, um, but he, he was a good man and he loved me. You could tell. And I loved him, a big, strong, strapping young man. And praise God, uh, uh, Linda got pregnant and they didn't uh, terminate the child. One day, I, Michelle and I get a call at night, two o'clock in the morning. And you know when you get that two o'clock call, it's not good. I get that two o'clock call, and it's Andy. It usually has such a strong voice. It was wavering. He said, Steve, could you come to the John Radcliffe? Linda's having her baby. And we were disoriented. It was like, no, isn't she due in like two more months? And I mean, wasn't she? She was so premature. She was right on the edge of anybody making it and anybody not, right on that edge. I remember going into the hospital. And, oh, I was scared. I could walk into any locker room, any NFL, any professional locker room, no problem. Walking into there, I was nervous. I remember walking in, and I'm shaking. And I see the people around, and I didn't know if they would enjoy having a a coach, pastor in their midst or not, but they were happy. They said, no, come on in here. You're going to pray for the baby? That's great. And I came in, and they said, what the baby needs more than anything else now is to be touched. That's what it needs to be healthy. And it was in that special care baby unit, you have it called the neonatal centers, but it was in an incubator. It was in an incubator. And you've seen it on TV where you can put your hand through the glove. The baby needs to be touched. And I thought if I'd touch it, I'd just break it. Oh, her name was Ellie, and she was so small. I'm shaking like a leaf, my finger there, and I can still see it. It was like she reached up and grabbed my finger. It looked like she was grabbing a log. It was so big, and I prayed for her. And it's been almost 30 years, and she's still doing great. Praise God. I tell you what, I don't have the gift of healing, though. I know I've prayed for plenty of guys, and they've died, so I don't have that gift there. But She lived. The Garden of Eden is like an incubator. It's a special place that was conducive to growth, mental, physical, social, spiritual. This is an incubator. You created this place. This is why you don't want sin in here. We do not want you guys to do that because this is a place for growth, and we want people to grow, and we're trying to pull out weeds. We want good soil. We don't want gossip. We don't want hatred. We do not want jealousy. We try, and that comes in because we're humans, but we try to get rid of it so people can grow. It's the cultural mandate, and our job is to take the gifts and abilities that we have and make something beautiful and then give them the gospel, give them the truth. Now, I have a question for you. I could be honest. When you heard that the guest speaker was going to be an American, did you kind of go, oh, wow, I don't know. <laughs> got a yank here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you guys laughed. The first service, nothing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. It's like, what does he know about our culture? You know what? He doesn't. He's an American. He doesn't know Australian culture. Well, I've been to 100 countries. And you know what? I, I don't know any of their cultures that well. I don't know. I'm, I am struggling with my country and my state as I get older. You are the expert at your country. I can give you some principles. I can give you some principles. Principles are timeless, they're universal, and they're obvious. They just jump out of the Bible. But it's your job to take those principles and turn them into action. 
methodology that's biblical. It's your job to take those ideas and concepts and make it happen. It's your job to create an incubator wherever you go. Let me give you four principles really quickly. Four principles that kind of help us look at the whole Bible, the big picture, the meta-narrative, as they say there, but the big picture. First is creation. Creation. We were made. Oh, we were made. How many here remember a guy named John Chapman? Chapo. You got some, oh, my. I was able to sit at his feet at Oxford University for a couple of days. He was amazing. What a, what a winsome godly man that was had such a great handle on the scriptures. He, he preached from this Genesis, the creation, and, and I remember him saying, and God spoke, and space came. God spoke, and there was light. God spoke, John's going on, God spoke, and he said, there's a vegetation. God spoke, and there's animals, and then he said, God spoke this unique species into the world called human, and he said, This is the image. This is the image of God. Not God, but the image of God. We are image bearers of God Almighty. And then John went on to say, and then after that, God made Australia, and he decided to live there. And so that one. But but, but we're we're image bearers. But what happens from that is that then the fall. Chapter 3 of Genesis is so devastating and the fall. But if you don't understand what Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and the image bearer we are, C.S. Lewis would say that if you would see a man in God's eyes, if you would see him in God's eyes, you would be tempted to fall down and worship. Also, though, if you see him in God's eyes and seen the sin, you would be withdrawn at the hideousness of what the sin looks like to God. Chapter 3 of uh, Genesis, we fall, we have the sin. Now, this is what I want you to take away. Sin breaks everything. Sin breaks everything. How many relationships did Adam have with his, uh, with his in, in the Garden of Eden? I always thought it was two. He had a relationship with Eve. He had a relationship with God. But actually, he had four, arguably four. He had a relationship with the earth, the whole world. He had a relationship and he had a relationship with himself. When I pray for my children, I pray for their relationship with God, their relationship with others, their relationship with this world, and that relationship with the self. Sin breaks everything. But we hear this story, the gospel, the good news. Oh, why is it good news? Because there's so much bad news. I've been in five war zones. I've seen some horrible things. I have to be careful because we have children here. But I've seen some horrible, horrible things. Unmentionable. Ugly. Sin breaks everything. And when we say gospel, it stands for good news. Why? Because it's just outrageously incredible good news. That Jesus reaches over to God and reaches across to us and says, Take it. Take my hand. The good news of Jesus Christ. And then from there, there's a last principle, and that's restoration, that we are going to be restored. He's bringing us back together the way he designed us to be, the ultimate design, the beautiful design. It's a slow process, and sometimes I make two two steps forward, three steps backwards, but it's a process that we go through. And this is the thing. 
as Christians, we get the opportunity to be with people and to help them with the restoration process. I love old trucks, and you can see that old truck there. You can see that old truck. But then the one next to it, oh, and I can see, I can see, you know, some of these guys, this is what they're going to look like. That is so beautiful. And if we could see through God's eyes. I'm just going to leave you with one small illustration. I hope it sticks. It's an idea. But somebody created this cup. It's just a plain old white mug. You can get them at uh, uh, Kmart for a buck. You can get them at Kmart, just a mug. It's, it's, it's made for hot water, hot coffee, something hot liquid. You could probably shovel with it, but that's not what it was designed to do. You could probably um, take a bath with it, but it's not what it was designed to do. It was designed to drink hot liquids from it. And when you do that, it does a great job, fits in your hand, feels good. It's really, really nice. Sin breaks everything. I double bag it now because I've single bagged it and went all over the place. Sin breaks. Uh Uh-oh, you're right. Tonight I got a triple bag it. Sin breaks everything. What a mess. We'll have a vacuum when it's done. Some people would say this is just an alternative way to live. But the Bible says that, no, we want to be put back together. And not only are we going to be put back together, we're going to be put back together in such a beautiful way because it will be the blood of Christ. And that will be this glue that holds us back into a beautiful setting. And not only will we look like we did before, we'll have this incredible gratitude, this incredible gratitude for what Jesus did, God's son, for us. Going back, the meta-narrative, the big picture. We get this opportunity. We're not here yet. You know, at least I've never met anybody that was, but we're we're on our way. We're here. We're, We're on our way. And we're telling people, come on over. We're telling people in Fig Tree, come on over. It's okay. You'll be okay. Actually, it'll work, and you will work a lot better. And we're telling people around the world, it's okay. This restoration process, we were broken. But he's pulling us together, pulling us together through the blood of Christ. Pray with me. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Help us understand how good news the gospel is. And help us to be put back together the way we were originally designed. Thank you for this church and how they're doing that around the world. Help us to do it in better ways, wiser ways. And Lord, thank you for the opportunity that you give us the opportunity to help in the restoration process. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.